This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Hello, and welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is Sunday, December 20th, 2015, and with me is my gracious wife, gracious. Corinne. <laughs> good word. Good, good word. Uh, we have some fun stuff for you today. We've got different things from the Mormon Church. We've got holiday stuff. We've got paranormal stuff and spirit science and all kinds of good things. We're going to talk a little bit about Mother Teresa as well, because uh, apparently she's on the path to sainthood, finally. <laughs> So it would seem, yeah. Um, so what do you have to start with us, Corinne? Oh, well, I found an article. It was called, How Do Atheists Celebrate Christmas? Mm. Um, they don't talk a ton about what atheists do for Christmas. Uh, Hemet Mehta was the person they interviewed for it, and basically it's just, why wouldn't we celebrate it? It's at the end of the year when weather is bad and people are sick of church, so... I mean, work, not church. Probably so, church as well. Yeah. <laughs> so that was more or less the sentiment. Why not? Yeah. Um, well, that's a good point. That's something that comes up pretty much every year. Yeah. Um, ever since I started getting involved with the atheist movement, um, well, more just following them, I guess. Right. Um, you know, people talk about how there's all these traditions and all these rituals and things and a lot of stuff that they really like about the holiday season. But having left religion, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are like, well, what do we do? Do we celebrate it? Do we not celebrate it? Um, yeah, so what did you find in the article? Just well, that was basically it. At the very end, it talks about something called Newtonmas. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? Have you heard of that? I don't. <laughs> I hadn't either, but it makes sense. Because apparently Isaac Newton was born on December 25th, so people will celebrate oh. his birth. Is that on our calendar, or was, was that on the old calendar? Because I think they switched. It was switched. an old calendar, I believe. Okay. I can't remember what it was called. I didn't write it down. Okay. But like the Julian calendar or something? Does that sound familiar? I can't get them straight. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, they, they switched <laughs> calendars yeah. a, a while back. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not on the current calendar or whatever. Mm. But yeah, apparently So celebrating Newton's like, birthday instead yeah. of Christmas? And you exchange like gifts of science books and humanist tracts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently they did this on the Big Bang Theory in like oh. 2009 or something to celebrate a Newton miss. Yeah, Newton I, I've Mets never Mets. actually watched more than like two or three minute clips of the Big Bang Theory, uh, but I've, I've heard good things. I've heard that uh, they have a, an interesting take on like science and um, pop culture, popular yeah. culture. But uh, It's entertaining at times. Yeah. Cool. Um, Wait, there's more though. Oh, there's more. Attached to the article was uh, 32 photos of celebrities who are openly atheist. Ah. But it had like, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool going through and seeing people that you don't actually, uh -huh. don't typically think of being atheists. So I thought I could read some of those off. Okay. Um, there was a big to-do over Arian Foster, who's a football player for the Houston Texans. 
Uh, I think it was this I think year. I heard a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, he came out and said that he was atheist. Mm-hmm. Which is a big deal because everybody's more of like the Tim Tebow crowd. Right, exactly. And football in and of itself is a religion. And then for someone to right. come out and say, I'm an atheist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so that, there is him, Sir Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin. Oh, yeah. Is um, Daniel Radcliffe from mm-hmm. Harry Potter. I knew about him. I didn't actually know about him, All right. which kind of surprised me. Well, I'd, I'd seen a few memes of his floating around uh, where he, he says, I can't even remember what they were, but just uh, basically saying that he's a secularist, humanist, like that kind of thing. Right. So. Said he was a fan of Richard Dawkins, so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Julianne Moore. And okay. She was funny because when she was asked what um, she would like to hear God say to her at the gates of heaven, she replied, well, I guess you were wrong. I do exist. <laughs> she wants God to say if he does exist. <laughs> so she wants God to have a little bit of a snarky sense of humor. <laughs> right. Um, Javier Bardem. Oh, is he the, the, the bad guy in No Country for yeah, Old Men? Yeah. Ah. And he said, I've always said I don't believe in God. I believe in Al Pacino. <laughs> so. It's a man who gets things done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kira Knightley. She said... I think I knew about her. Yeah. If only I wasn't an atheist, I could get away with anything. You just ask for forgiveness, and then you'd be forgiven. Ah, oh, yes. So I've heard that argument as well. Yeah. People, people say that, you know, if you uh, throw out God and religion, then you have no moral compass, and, mm-hmm. and you just do whatever you want. It's all anarchy, nihilism, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Nothing matters. And the counter that to that is, well, if you're a Christian, you can do whatever you want and then ask God for forgiveness, and it's even worse. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> It's like you can literally do anything mm-hmm. and not have any consequences, right. you know, based on your, their theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it kind of depends on the denomination of Christian, because, like, Mormons draw lines against, you know, certain things like murder and a few things like that. Yeah. Um, but there are some Christian uh, denominations that I, I've heard of where even murder is okay as long as you repent at the last minute. Like, all that matters is that you're saved. Hmm. So... So that's fun. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's Paul Giamatti. Mm. Uh, Sir Ian McKellen, which I did know about him. Yes. Emma Thompson. Knew her. So pretty much all of the Harry Potter cast. Right. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Billy Joel. I didn't know him. Oh. Which... Okay, cool. Makes me wonder if my parents know about that. You think they'll object? (laughs) (laughs) Big Billy Joel fans? (laughs) They like Billy Joel. Uh, James Cameron of Avatar fame. Okay. Titanic. (laughs) Hugh Laurie. I think I knew that, yeah. Which makes sense because he's house. Mm -hmm. He plays that part really well, which is a staunch atheist. Uh huh. See, Jodie Foster, which is interesting because, I mean, she is an atheist, but she still loves religion. And apparently, I don't know, apparently in their family <laughs> with their kids, they celebrate every religion. Oh, um, so they just kind of pick whatever holidays they like. Yeah, <laughs> probably what it is. Which I guess falls in line with, you know, atheists still following, following like Christmas traditions, you yeah. know. It's like they like the tradition, so right. why not? Yeah. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, Ricky Gervais. Oh, Ricky Gervais is very, very outspoken. Yeah. He uh, famously was at the Golden Globes a couple of years ago. He uh, ended his, uh, he was like the, the MC or whatever for mm-hmm. the Golden Globes, and at the very end of it, like when they were doing the credits, he said, 
And I'd like to thank God for making me an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Griffin actually had something similar when she won an Emmy. Mm. She's, in her speech, she said, A lot of people come up here and they thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. He didn't help me one bit. So all I can say is, suck it, Jesus. This award is my God now. <laughs> but yeah, that was funny. <laughs> As an acceptance oh, cool. speech. <laughs> Uh, Douglas Adams, which is most, a lot of people know that. Mm, Isaac yeah. Asimov. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, which is interesting just because she was an atheist, like, in Before the 40s cool. and the 50s, so. Yeah. Like, and a woman. <laughs> An yeah. outspoken feminist, so that <laughs> was the whole package. And then there were just the regulars, the like, Pendulette and Richard Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris, uh-huh. Dennett, and Hawking, but... I don't know. Some of them I thought was inter- were interesting. So, yeah. That cool. was that article. Well, that ties in uh, quite nicely with something that I found on Facebook. Yeah. Um, a couple of my friends and family liked something that was posted by an apostle of the Mormon church, mm-hmm. one Dallin H. Oaks. Mm-hmm. They, they love those middle initials. Yeah. Everyone has an initial. Yeah. I don't know why. Not necessarily the, the middle, though. That's true. Um, Even just like authors and stuff. Everyone gets a letter. Right. Well, I'm, I'm talking about like Mormon culture oh, specifically. Yeah, I know. That's, that's what a, I meant. A like Mormon, Mormon author thing authors, too? Yeah. Oh, like I everything in Mormonism, just about everyone gets a initial. They like their initials. Yeah. Okay. So, so Mr. Dallin H. Oaks, um, should we call him H for short? H. <laughs> Mr. H. <laughs> Mr. H. Um, he has chimed in on the war on Christmas, um, which... You know, every, every time this comes up, it, it just seems kind of funny because the, the type of stuff that started the whole idea of the war on Christmas were things like nativity scenes being put on, like, courthouse lawns mm-hmm. and, you know, public property and that kind of stuff. Stuff, you know, places where it's supposed to be representative of the population as a whole and be inclusive and all that kind of stuff. And when you have things that are specific to a particular religion... It makes it more divisive. It can be alienating to certain people, and not to mention, it uses taxpayer money uh, to to celebrate a particular religion. Which, you know, and that's that's the objection, really. It's 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 using um, you know federal funds and resources that everybody pays taxes into, and it's it's focusing on a particular religion. So that makes it unconstitutional. That's something that the ACLU and the FFRF focus on. And they always have, you know, these sorts of, uh, you know, suits and threats of suits come up around this time of year. And so people like, you know, the Fox News Network jump on board and try to make it this big deal like it's a t- an attack on Christmas right. or an attack on Christianity. Christians are being persecuted left and right. Yeah, exactly. The holiday season. When in reality it's not persecution, it's them being put into check. They're losing right. some of their Christian privilege. Yeah. Like they're the majority, they have a lot of privileges that come with that, mm-hmm. just being the, the the majority holder in pop culture, so, so to speak. Okay. Um, and so they're losing a little bit of that privilege, and that's why they're upset, and they're calling it persecution. Yeah. So so this, uh, you know, Dallin H. Oaks, um, he got a bunch of Christmas cards, as is the custom, and he um, decided to do a little analysis of the cards. And... <laughs> And I, I want to read what he wrote. It's only a few paragraphs, 
but it, it's just written in such a pedantic lawyer kind of way <laughs> that only someone like him could accomplish. Um, so I'll just read it. So a few years ago, I analyzed the Christmas cards I received at my office and home. There were many, so this was not a small sample. Significantly, my sample was biased toward religious images and words by the fact that most of the cards were sent by fellow leaders and members of my faith. Of course, because he's a Mormon apostle. Mm. He's like just about as high up as you get in the Mormon church. Um, okay, going on. I sorted the cards I received into three groups. Of course you did. <laughs> in the first group, I put the traditional cards, those with an overt mention of Christ and or pictures evocative of the birth of the Savior. Only 24% of the cards I received were in this traditional character. In the second group were those cards whose pictures and visuals were not at all religious, but they did have the words Merry Christmas to identify the religious origin of the holiday. This was the largest group, 47%. In the third group, comprising 29% of the cards I received, there was no mention of Christ or Christmas and no religious visuals at all. These cards had words such as season's greetings, happy holidays, peace in the new year, and peace and bounty of the season. A few were so daring as to refer to peace on earth or faith, hope, and love. <laughs> He's getting a little, a little sarcastic now. <laughs> but none had any picture suggestive of religion. And, and, and right here, this, this is one of the things that I had a problem with, is like, most of these have something to do with religion. Mm -hmm. Like faith, hope, and love, that's religious. Peace on earth, that's religious. That's straight, straight from, from a, the Bible. From, yeah, straight from the Bible. You know, so I think his yeah, standard's a little bit weird. Um, because Christ isn't on it. Right. Uh, his last paragraph, for Latter-day Saints, meaning Mormons, um, Christmas should be a time to celebrate the birth of the Son of God and also to remember his teachings. In reality, his life has had greater impact on every part of this world and its history than any life ever lived. His gifts to us are the greatest gifts ever given, the assurance of immortality and the opportunity for eternal life. Those are the gifts we should celebrate at this and every Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, so apparently the war on Christmas is as far-reaching as the mailbox of Dallin A. Jokes. <laughs> I just love that he, he actually broke it down and gave percentages for how many cards fell into each category. Such a Dallin A. Jokes thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I like that he said how, like, he got lots of Christmas cards. Like, I know lots of people. I am an important person. Right, and he is. <laughs> and in the Mormon world, he is a very important person. Yeah, but for him to and, write that... Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like he's taunting. Anyone that he's writing this to knows that he's an important person. He doesn't need to say, I receive, you know, needless to say, I receive lots. Right. You know. <laughs> That's true. Know. So that there were a few fun comments, most of which were, you know, just agreeing with him because that's what Mormons like to do. They like to say that, you know, things like this are so profound and inspired and mm -hmm. it's so great that they have, you know, an apostle that will direct them and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there were a couple in here. Um, I don't know if I can find them just right now because, uh, yeah, anyway, too much scrolling. But th there were a couple that pointed out that it's not about 
you know, the religious sentiments. It's about, you know, family inclusion. It's about connecting with people that you don't normally connect with throughout the year and keeping people up to date and, you know, not alienating other people based on their religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. It's about, it's about being inclusive, you know, and, so that's kind of the counter, and that's and that's really. Oh, wasn't one of the comments about how businessmen don't have the luxury of. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Selectively alienating people or yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because religion is inherently divisive. Uh, it just is. Yeah. Even Christmas can be divisive. Yeah. You know, and so when when you live in a pluralistic society, um, which Mormons. I don't know, they have like this love-hate relationship with pluralism. Like they like to be included in like, you know, the main culture or whatever, but they also want everybody to be like them, you know. Anyway, so that's, that's pretty much all I had for Mr. Oaks. Mm -hmm. um, anything to add? I don't know. Okay. It's just silly. Yeah, just kind of silly. I thought what it was kind of funny. What a thing to post on Facebook. Yeah, and it had... It and, sounds like something he would give in a talk or something, exactly. to be honest. And it has, uh, at this point, almost 11,000 likes on it. Like, that's how like widespread this has become, including several of my family members. So, that's fun. Um, you have uh, another article? Yes. This one... <laughs> This one I found on Facebook as well. Um, an acquaintance on Facebook liked it or shared it. I think she shared it. Um, it was, it's for a petition. Um, it's called The Battle for the Bible Continues Against the FFRF. Apparently in October, I think it was, of this year. Um, who was it? Their names are escaping me. I don't know people very well on the FFRF. But okay. two of like the founders, or so maybe not Dan founders. Barker, yes, Dan Barker, and, and uh, wife, Annie maybe. Laurie Gaylor. Yeah, probably, probably. I think it's his wife. Yeah, yeah. They stayed um, in a hotel, um, in a university hotel in Northern Illinois, Northern Illinois University. Okay. And found that there were lots of that there were Bibles just everywhere, and so they uh -huh. um, like the Gideon Bibles. Yeah, Gideon Bibles. Okay. And so they had, like, their lawyers drop a letter or whatever and mm. send it to them and say, you know, this is a state institution or whatever. Right. You should remove the Bibles. Friendly letter basically just stating the obvious. Right. And they did immediately. They sent a letter a response right back, says, um, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Uh -huh. we'll, we've removed all the Bibles or whatever. And that's how most of their encounters with the public go anyway. Yeah. It's like they, they point out where the infraction is, uh -huh. state the law. Yeah. And then people go, oh, okay, well, we'll start doing that now. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that, but yeah, yeah. we'll do that now. So, um, so yeah, Northern Illinois University removed all of the Bibles from their uh, university hotels, as did University of Wisconsin and the University of Iowa, um, because they were all contacted by the FFRF. And so mm. this petition is in response to the Bibles being removed, it, I don't a, know. a petition to like get the Bibles back? Or? Yeah, yeah, okay. basically to get the Bibles back. Okay. Um, I guess they, their legal team, the people that put this petition together, are also preparing a letter um, that they're directing to the universities uh -huh. that uh, are rebutting FFRF's deeply flawed arguments. Based on the law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah. so so do they point out any of the ways in which no, the argument and, is flawed? No, and I even clicked on like all the links and stuff too, trying to figure out like where they were coming from. Uh -huh. But I couldn't find anything. Um, and and that that kind of stuff bothers me because 
it's not just you know a difference of opinion. It's clear that they're pandering. Right. Like they're trying to get a reaction, an emotional reaction from certain people mm-hmm. to to kind of rally to their side. Like they're not concerned about what is legal or what is right. They want people to join their cause. Right. You know. And part of the problem with um, their petition is that they're claiming that these are um, private. Like hotels, like they, oh, okay. they so say that this is going beyond. Yeah, well, something like that. Uh-huh. So these, so the university ones are owned by the university, obviously, and so are um, owned by the state or whatever. Uh-huh. But um, they they're claiming that this is reaching into the private sector as well for like uh-huh. private hotels, and <laughs> I don't know. It's just ridiculous. Well, who owns the hotels? I don't know. They don't give specifics. That's the okay. problem. They don't give any specifics mm. anywhere in any of the links. Most of the links lead back to like the same article, oh. an article that they wrote earlier in the year. The, the people petitioning. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't have anything else really to read, but I thought it was okay. funny. Cool. Um, yeah. So. Not exactly the same as the war on Christmas, but it seems like it's along the same lines. Yeah. Um, other people have taken different routes to uh, combat the Gideon Bible surge. Um, there were some fun ones. Uh, obviously, people will just take the Bibles, mm-hmm. which will cost the Gideons money. Um, but an alternative to that that I think is kind of fun is where people hide the Bible oh, yeah. in different places within the... Uh, Jeff D's game or something Yeah, like, like Jeff D from the Atheist <laughs> Experience is a big advocate of this, um, where they, they try to find a hiding spot for the Bible. And what happens with that is, um, you know, over time in these rooms, uh, you know, if, as more people do it, um, they'll, you know, the Gideons will see that there's no Bible in there, mm-hmm. so they'll keep putting more Bibles in, Bibles keep getting hidden, and just, you know, so eventually there'll be lots and lots of Bibles hidden in these rooms, and then eventually somebody's going to find them. Right. And they're going to go, what we have heck? way too many Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we have so many freaking Bibles? <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've taken the approach of... Uh, a few times when I've been in a hotel, I'll like highlight certain scriptures or like mm-hmm. fold pages to certain scriptures right. uh, that that uh, have particularly damning things <laughs> said in them. You know, things like kill the gays or kill witches, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so I don't know. Sir Ian McKellen actually he just rips those pages out. <laughs> yeah, he just goes straight to, what is it, Leviticus 20 or whatever, and just rips that page right out. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um, sainthood. So, <laughs> so Mother Teresa died in, what was it, 1997, yeah. I think it was? Yeah, 97. And... She was, you know, one of those, you know, highly revered um, people. She did supposedly a lot of humanitarian work. Um, Christopher Hitchens has a book called *The Missionary Position*, which I think is a fantastic title. And I want to read that. Um, where he indicts Mother Teresa of a lot of things and a lot of the claims about her, mm-hmm. and he claims that pretty much everything that you've ever heard about her humanitarian stuff is false. Um, you know, the money doesn't go where you think it is. Her homes for the dying 
in Calcutta um, are not hospitals. They're just places yeah. for people to go and suffer and die and die so that she can feel close to Jesus uh-huh. and all that kind of stuff. So it, it definitely puts a more malicious kind of spin on uh, the sainthood of Mother Teresa. But nonetheless, by and large, most people still revere her, uh, especially within Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And they tried to fast track her to sainthood a few years ago. And uh, because Christopher Hitchens actually wrote his book, um, they invited him to, to serve as uh, the devil's advocate. Like, oh. like that's actually a position. Oh. So they, they had like this, this meeting. And in this meeting, they, they you know, gave their case for why she should become a saint early without having met all of the criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, or you have to have like two um, miracles after your death. And you have to have like a certain amount of time elapsed and all that kind of stuff. Oh, they it's wanted after your death, not exactly. Alive. Exactly. So what? <laughs> yeah. So post mortem miracles. Oh. Um, and they only had one um, one miracle that they could attribute to Mother Teresa, and but they were still trying to get her to sainthood for you know political reasons. It was all about kind of improving the image of the church because at this point there was a lot of talk about, you know, priests raping boys and all that kind of stuff, you know, the whole molestation scandal that was going on. And so Christopher Hitchens went in and he was literally the devil's advocate um, against Mother Teresa, which is kind of fun. That is fun. Yeah, it's kind of a a unique experience. Yeah. Um, I think as he put it, um, he's the only person to work for the devil pro bono. (laughs) (laughs) Pro bono. Anyway, so, so the criteria, well, well ultimately, they, they decided not to make her a saint at that time. Um, and then in 2008, I think it was, there was a man who was willing to claim that he had had a miracle because of something Mother Teresa did or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so now, enough time has passed, apparently, and they have the two miracles. So now Pope Francis is, is right on track to get Mother Teresa a real saint now. Um, so let's talk about the miracles. So the first miracle um, happened to a lady in India. Um, let's see. I'm not, I'm not even going to attempt to say her name. I, I can't do Indian names yeah. very well. <laughs> but she had an illness. Um, I think it was like a tumor or something in her stomach. Um, and she was undergoing medical treatments, and she would pray to Mother Teresa to heal her. And then after some time passed, the you know tumors went away, and she was she on was, medication. She was on medication, exactly. And and she got better, and so she attributes that to her praying to Mother Teresa. That was the first miracle. Shouldn't that be like sacrilegious or something though? Like, I guess they're Catholic. Maybe not. I don't know. You know, no other gods before me. You're praying to someone else. Oh, they they love their saints. Okay. They're all about saints intervening on their behalf. It's they're like little demigods kind of. Okay. Um, anyway, so so that was the first miracle. She had her tumors go away while taking treatment. <laughs> and the funny thing about that, of course, was that her husband, um, who's a little bit more cynical than she is, um, pointed this out to reporters and said. It wasn't her praying, it was the fact that she was on treatment that she got better. Right. And, and uh, they just kind of discounted his account and took her at her word so that you know, they could start the, the fast-tracking of mm-hmm. sainthood for Mother Teresa. 
Um, but of course, that wasn't enough. So then we had a second um, miracle, the one that happened um, a few years later in, was it 2008, I think I said, mm -hmm. where a man had some kind of infection in his brain or something along those lines. And, you know, similar kind of situation. He was praying to Mother Teresa. He went into her mission. And then, you know, he claimed that because he was praying to Mother Teresa, that was how he got better. Mm -hmm. um, so he on any medication? The, the article that I found, I don't think, mentioned anything about medication. So I don't, I don't know. Okay. But, uh, but he was sick. He did have this thing in his body. And he was getting worse. And then he got better. Okay. So, do you believe that these were miracles? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, the first one, <laughs> she mm. was on medication. Mm -hmm. If she wasn't on medication, they'd have more of a argument. But Right, exactly. It's like, first disprove that the medication didn't do anything for her. Oh. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing. It's like, with, with cancer and with a lot of these bacterial infections... Um, even without taking any treatment, a certain percentage of victims will go into remission naturally. Mm -hmm. Their body will just take care of it, so to speak. Right. And that will happen without any medication at all. And we know that this happens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it depends on uh, the disease, of course. Like, they have different rates of remission. But, you know, for example, let's say lung cancer has a remission of 8%. Um, then 8% of people without taking any sort of chemotherapy or radiation therapy will go into remission naturally by themselves. Okay. So it, it stands to reason that at some point somebody is going to go into remission without any medical help at all. Uh -huh. And, you know, you go to these, these uh, rural places like where these two miracles took place, they're going to attribute their superstitious uh, and, and religious values to whatever their experience is mm -hmm. and call it a miracle. Like it, it, it just makes sense. That's the way that all of these old-time religions kind of operated initially anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all about the, the miraculous healing and, you know, using herbs and that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, and then, you know, praying to the right gods. Um, and then naturally, some people got better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to me, this is just indicative of, you know, religion... Um, not really fact-checking very well. Like, they, they have this tendency, and I, I remember this happening in Mormon uh, meetings all the time, where people just take any claim anybody makes at face value. Somebody right. says they have a spiritual experience. Somebody says that they found their keys because they prayed. Right. It's, it, you take them at their word, yeah. you know, because it's faith-promoting. Right, but what about all those people that didn't find their keys even after they prayed? Exactly. And that's <laughs> called, uh, uh, what is it, the... the you, you see the hits and ignore the misses, the sharpshooter fallacy, that's right. what it's called. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Because there's going to be lots more people who pray to these saints yeah. that don't get better. Right, and if they're saints, shouldn't they be like answering everyone's cries for healing? Right, like, like why, why is it so selective? Why only two? Uh -huh. <laughs> why do they only need two miracles? Uh -huh. Yeah, because it's been, what is it, almost 20 years since Mother Teresa died? Yeah, and it shouldn't be that hard to find a miracle. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they're really saints, and they're, they're really, really up doing there this. watching over people, and they're really helping people. Yeah. Really, yeah, it's like why isn't happening more? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the argument against uh, against God in general. You mm. know, the problem of evil. Right. It's like why isn't 
God helping more people? Mm-hmm. Like, why does he only seem to help certain kinds of people? Why is, like, the entire continent of Africa suffering? <laughs> right. Yeah. Why is it that he, he only seems to help, you know, middle-class First Americans who have access to health care? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who could just go to the doctor whenever they want. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, the, what is it, uh, Russell Glasser from The Atheist Experience. Uh-huh. Um, he likes to give the example. His dad says, I... I had a headache and I said a prayer and took an aspirin and my headache went away. So therefore, prayer works. <laughs> prayer works. And his response is, well, how do you know that it wasn't just the aspirin? <laughs> you know, if you're taking aspirin and saying a prayer, how do you know that the prayer is actually doing anything? Right. I would argue that it's not because <laughs> studies show that aspirin works just fine on its own. Right. Okay. So that's pretty much all I had for Mother Teresa. Um, anything else to add on miracles or standards of evidence for miracles? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you ever have any experience with miracles in the church, in the Mormon church? Not directly. Mm-hmm. I and mean, people always claim it was a miracle. You know, someone got better or something. Uh-huh. But I, I don't know. I never, I always thought it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, it, that doesn't seem like a miracle to me. That's like an everyday occurrence. Right. A lot of things that people claimed were miracles were like everyday occurrences. And it just, it's the, it's the small miracles. You right. know, that's a common phrase. You have to look for the little things. You have to look for the little things before you can see the big one. Okay, right. how many times do I need to lose my keys before I get a real miracle? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I always had a hard time with the concept of a miracle. Yeah, that's funny. Um, I, I do remember one time an old family friend came to visit. Mm-hmm. somebody that we hadn't seen in several years and uh they they had gone through some kind of cancer treatment and when they visited us they were super happy because they had just gone to the doctor like that week mm-hmm. and found no traces of the cancer right um which you know super awesome like that's great uh-huh. um but they were you know just totally sure that this was God intervening right. and making the cancer go away. Uh-huh. It's like, well, you were seeing doctors and you were going through treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly did God do? Right. <laughs> right. There would have been a great opportunity for a miracle in my family. They could, oh, really? God could have taken away my grandma's Alzheimer's. Oh. That would have been an amazing miracle. I know. Because that doesn't have a cure. And I've never heard of that happening. Exactly. That would have been a miracle. Yeah. You know, perfect opportunity. Yep. But instead, she suffered for 17 years. It was that long? Yeah. Oh, wow. And that was only diagnosed years. Oh, She wow. got it when she was, like, in her 50s. And my aunt had to trick them into getting diagnosed. Because they were refusing to? My grandpa refused to take her. Uh, he wasn't willing to admit it. Uh, so, I mean, tack on another three or four years. She had it for about 20 years. Right. Well, around the time Mother Teresa died. Yeah. Maybe oh, I should have prayed maybe, to Teresa. Maybe, yeah, there it is. We should Dang have prayed it. to Teresa. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any other articles? Um, we can get into the spirit, spirit science stuff unless you have something else you wanted to talk about. Um, all I have is spirit science. Okay, that's so. I have two articles from spirit science. Um, you have one or two? Uh, well, technically one article. The other were the Chinese New Year type things. Okay, cool. So let's do the spirit science ones, and then we can end with the uh, Chinese New Year one. Okay. Is good? Why don't you do yours first since you've okay. got two? So I, let's see. So let me pull this up. 
So this is from a website called thespiritscience.net, which has a lot of New Age woo kind of stuff. They, they do have some good articles about, you know, uh, some mental health things and a, a few things about just kind of being a good moral person in general, you know, and, and well-being, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, I was it's confused kind of when I first started going through it. Yeah. Because some of them were completely outlandish, and then the other ones I was like, wait. Is that an actual thing? Because right. that sounds like it could be an actual thing. I was like, and, and I'm that's, so confused. <laughs> right, and that's one of the reasons why why I'm drawn to this site because uh -huh. because it's not all quackery. Like there are some legitimately good things that they talk about on this website, uh -huh. but there's still quackery. <laughs> right, uh -huh. um, and that's where it gets kind of fun. Um, so so uh, the first article that I have is from December fourteenth, two thousand fifteen. And it is titled, How to Create Closure Through Astral Communication. <laughs> so, do you know what astral communication is? Um, it sounds like communicating, not verbally, like out-of-body communication. It's like telepathy. Okay. Right. So, it's, it's their version of telepathy, basically. Um, so, the, the general idea of this is that you meditate and think about certain things, and you ask the person that you're upset with to come visit you in this astral plane, okay? <laughs> so and you have this conversation. Exactly. No, ex literally. Okay. Like you, you literally meet their soul, okay? That's literally how they're painting this. Okay. Okay, so, so you're visualizing going to this astral plane, and your soul is convening with their soul, but their soul has to be willing to meet with you, okay? It's a two-way street kind of thing. And then you kind of, you know, hash it out and work it out, and then that's your way of getting closure, okay? So, so they give step-by-step -step instructions on how to do this, okay? Okay. So first, you need to sit somewhere quiet and comfortable, close your eyes, and start taking ten deep, slow, deliberate breaths. Wow. No. Ten. Ten. Deep, slow, deliberate breaths. Okay. It's very important. Then you think of the person with whom you want to communicate. Actually, they, they wrote it. I, I misread that, their sentence. I'm going to read it the way that they wrote it. <laughs> think of the person with whom you want to communicate with. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Try to imagine them to the most physical detail and accuracy as possible. Oh. Okay. Okay. So like you really have to, to like, like really visualize yeah. the person. Okay. Now this part is the most important part. You must ask them permission to talk to their higher self and soul aspect and truly come to this place for the great good of both soul involved. Okay, so they have to be willing. Um, wait to listen to the feeling within yourself. If you get a feeling of resistance or an uneasy feeling, they have said no. Okay. <laughs> You can always do a cord cutting visual visualization, which I wrote about in the in a previous article, to which they don't give a link. Um, so I don't know what that means. Um, or you can try again at a later date. You can also uh, let's see. You can always as well just hold them in light to bless them and offer them healing. So if they don't want to commune with you, you can just give them a blessing of light, and and then your soul is covered, so to speak. I guess. <sighs> Um, if you have to be, if you have, oh my gosh, the typos in this are awful. If you have waited and you feel 
and opening within yourself, then your, their higher self has said yes. At this point, you can imagine them open and ready to receive any message you would like to connect with them about. Wow, that's just confusing. I know, isn't that just a poorly constructed sentence? Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, it's like I was saying, like, like you think about them, you start communicating with them, you give them mm -hmm. the message, and then that's like your way of connecting with them. Okay. okay. So feel open within yourself and allow yourself to say anything that you haven't been able to say to them physically in person. You can end this practice in whatever way you see fit, because it doesn't really matter. Um, sometimes I picture hugging the person, sometimes I picture putting my hand on their heart as they put their <laughs> hand on mine, and, and sometimes I kneel at their feet in gratitude. Like I said above, this is a time to send this person love and light. Oh my gosh. Even if they have not been kind to you in the physical realm, this is a time to give yourself the love you have always deserved within interactions with the other. So, two things. One, if we were to actually do a test, if, if we were to go to separate places, mm -hmm. and I um, you know, did this step-by-step -step, uh, instruction to like astral project to where you are, and then you commune with me, and then we talk about something, do you think that we would come back to our apartment and, and uh, uh, describe the same experience? No. <laughs> no. We have completely different imaginations. Right. Exactly. To me, and this is the second point, this sounds like a way of getting closure with ac without actually doing anything. doing anything. It's like prayer. Yeah. It's, it's getting like a peace of mind from a, a conflict that you've had with somebody um, without actually interacting with them so that you can feel better about yourself. Right. With, it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Right. You know? Anyway. So that was the, the first article that I got from Spirit Science. Um, I thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> I'd uh, never even heard of such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess it's not that surprising. Mm. Um, the one that I found is from the same site. This was from December 16th. Um, it is called Res Researchers Found That Human Evolution Is Driven by Consciousness. Consciousness, oh my gosh. Whenever I hear somebody say something like in like a New Age wooey kind of way about consciousness, I immediately go to Deepak Chopra. And he's mentioned in this. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course he yeah. is. Because <laughs> that's all he ever talks about. He talks about yeah. quantum mechanics and consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to read the first paragraph just because it kind of gives you an idea of what this is about. Okay. Um, starts off, hardline scientists tend to think of consciousness merely as a byproduct of the central nervous system. In this point of view, consciousness is derived from the physical body. However, the actual human experience in the world fails to line up with this position. The average person sees their own consciousness as the crux of who they are. It even goes beyond determining the complex choices that we make every moment. At times, our experience can be so profound as to invoke a spiritual awakening that seems to transform our lives. Why do I get the feeling that nothing was actually said? <laughs> That's probably an accurate feeling. That was your consciousness. That was my consciousness, telling me that that was all bullcrap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so basically, they're just saying that uh, we can decide to spiritually awaken ourselves by directing our consciousness back at ourselves. What on earth does so that mean? literally what they say. I don't know. It's part of the reason why I highlighted it, because I was like, I, 
I feel stupid reading this because I don't know how to make sense of it. You know, it's like how I can't. I don't know. It's well, just confusing. Well, here's here's the problem that I have with a lot of Deepak Chopra stuff and, and like stuff like this, where they talk about consciousness and mm-hmm. higher levels and awakening, and especially when they try to to talk about uh, neurology and um, you know how scientists always say that the, the that consciousness is a product of the mind and neurons firing and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it than that. It's it the, the reason that scientists say that um, you know the mind is the product of the of a brain. Mm-hmm. is because that's what all of the evidence points to. Right. You know, like any time that you, uh, you know, manipulate brain chemistry or do some kind of brain damage or change the, you know, physical nature of the brain, you're going to have a change in that person's mind, mm-hmm. a change in their consciousness, a change in their personality. You know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the classic famous case, Phineas Gage, where he had the road spike, the railroad spike go oh, through right. his head and it severed like his frontal lobe for the rest of his brain, mm-hmm. completely changed his personality. He was a different person. Mm-hmm. Then you have split brain patients where, you know, one hemisphere of the brain communicates through, uh, through voice and then the other one communicates through writing. They ask one, they, they, they ask them, you know, are, do you believe in God? And the person says yes, but the person writes no. Okay, they have two different personalities within the same brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and, and these are all the like these are all experiments, well, not experiments, like like case studies mm-hmm. that show that uh, that uh, you know the mind is a product of the brain. The mind is the brain. The brain is the mind. Uh-huh. Like they they are the same thing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. like trying to to elevate the mind or consciousness to this supernatural plane. Like there is no evidence for it. There's no basis for it. It's uh-huh. all supernatural religious. Um, beliefs, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's no evidence. Um, anyway. Um, so yeah, where they get into Deepak Chopra, they talk about a recent debate between Chopra and Dawkins, <laughs> where Dawkins argues um, that human consciousness gives us an edge in survival from an evolutionary perspective. Uh, so our ability to plan and anticipate and think creatively uh, allows us to survive. More than, like, other species. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Chopra's view is that consciousness drives evolution. And the article says that despite, you know, the skepticism that this draws, he may have a point. Because, <laughs> for example, we know that stress kills, and there is a growing body of evidence that it can cause cancer. Stress cause, causes cancer? That's what they say, but I didn't click on the link. I don't even know if it is a link. It's weird. It's probably a link. Yeah, I... I just printed it off. I didn't feel like researching anything yeah. further. Last time I thought it was cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be a specific type of cancer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they say if Dawkins' perspective that biology con- controls consciousness is correct, then we should not be able to affect our own biology with our stress, nor should we be able to lower our blood pressure with relaxation techniques. Well, that's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like that's completely false. Your brain <laughs> regulates. Uh, your your body functions, your bodily functions. It regulates, um, well, not heartbeat. There's uh, a, a different mechanism that does that, but it, it does influence heartbeat a little bit. But like you know, breathing, reaction times, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the processes in your stomach, like digestion, all that stuff. Like it's all regulated by the brain. Right. So of course your brain can influence it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but that's not that's not even the point. Like the point is. You know, the brain can do um, all of these things naturally, you know. Anyway, 
It doesn't need supernature. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, so the end of the article, it talks about um, something called epigenetics. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. I, yeah. I think this is the main, like, where they were really going with it, um, is that a person's DNA can be changed just by meditating. Bullcrap. That's basically, I guess, what epigenetics is about. That the brain can alter one's DNA through a process called epigenetics. That so, sounds like that yeah. sounds like uh, that one episode of Penn and Teller BS, where they went to the hypnotherapist <laughs> yeah, to do breast, to grow their boobs. <laughs> yeah, breast augmentation <laughs> through through hypnosis. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the article ends with, "Then it is true that consciousness can affect the evolution of the species." So basically they're saying that we're thinking our way into a higher, like, I don't know, like plane, plane or, or whatever. Yeah. It, it, like it we started as chimpanzees, but we thought ourselves into becoming humans, you know? That's basically <laughs> my takeaway from it. And that's why I thought it was it's funny. absurd. Yeah. Just but think and change our DNA. Yeah. Sounds like Deepak Chopra. Okay. So is that all you have for that article? Oh, uh, yeah. Cool. It was short. So the last article that I have is uh, uh, another one from Spirit Science. Um, four strange stories that suggest parallel worlds exist. So the first story that they use um, is actually a picture of a ghost. Okay. <laughs> a picture of a ghost. A picture of a ghost walking through like a doorway of an old hotel. Or is this like a things. drawn picture or no. a picture they claim to have it's, taken? It's an old picture. Okay, so it's a photo. Right, a photo. Um, and it says paranormal activity. So paranormal activity being the first thing that suggests that parallel worlds exist. <laughs> so, so here's what they have to say. This snapshot, so the picture of the ghost, mm -hmm. is an alleged ghost who appeared on closed-circuit television footage in the... At the 16th century palace of King Henry VIII, security guards had been notified that someone kept opening the fire exit, but this is the first evidence that suggests who or what might be doing that. So, <laughs> uh, they go on. Ghostly uh, photographs exist which point to a world or worlds in which one spirit might roam after death. However, ghosts are not the only explanation. Perhaps there is a parallel world bleeding into ours. Perhaps the person in the above photo is alive and well in a parallel world, and we've just captured a glimpse of it. Okay. <laughs> so, there are natural explanations for things happening on film. Mm. For instance, double exposure is a classic way that people, uh, tricksters, have used uh, to convince people that they've taken a picture of a ghost. Right. Um, and this picture is very old-looking, but uh, apparently it's on TV, so I don't know if you can do double exposure on TV. Um, but, they, I mean, just listen to this. It's, they're, they're saying that this is a ghost, and then they say, however, ghosts are not the only explanation. Perhaps there is a parallel world bleeding into ours. Okay. <laughs> It's all conjecture. Right. They have no reason to say that this is a parallel world any more than they have a reason to say that this is a ghost. Mm. You know, they don't know what it is. They have something strange on camera. Okay. What is it? How, how would you find out what it is? Mm. That's not the question that they're asking. 
they're asking, is this a ghost? I don't know. Is this a parallel world? I don't know. <laughs> but it's probably only one of those two things. It's probably only one of those two things. It couldn't possibly be a natural explanation. Right. Um, some random burst of light. Right. <laughs> or maybe some guy dressed up in a ghost costume. Like every episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the second strange story is Deja Vu and Alter Vu. I've never heard of Alter Vu before. Um, so, okay. It so, doesn't have quite the right ring to it. Yeah, it doesn't roll very well. Oh, it's Alter Vu. Alter Vu. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Deja vu is a strange phenomena of the mind. Yes, they misuse the word phenomena. Um, it is the uncanny sensation that you've experienced something before or that an event is repeating itself. You may even feel that you know what's going to happen next. Okay, so pretty much everybody has had this sensation of deja vu. In fact, when we were at uh, Village Inn a week or two ago, I had a feeling of deja vu. It was, it was kind of weird, but it was okay. I didn't think it was supernatural. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad you are okay. Yes, I'm okay. Did it's, we talk about that? No. Oh. It just happened, and I was like, oh, that's weird. And I just moved on with, it, with my day because, <laughs> you know, nothing really happened. It was completely inane and mundane. Huh. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so an alter vu is a term used to describe when someone remembers their world line differently. They might experience conflicting memories about their lives or perhaps something even changed about the world they, that they live in. Does that make sense to you? Do they give examples? Uh, let me read the next paragraph. It might explain it a little bit better. Both of these phenomena have neurological explanations, but it could be possible that they are memories from another version of ourselves into another universe or that we truly could remember something from an alternate world line. Huh. So didn't really explain it very well. No. I, I don't really understand Alter Vu. But, I mean, I, I've heard that before, and that was, that was one of those little uh, little subplot lines in The Matrix where Deja Vu mm -hmm. is like a ripple in The Matrix or whatever. Right. So It sounds like a different take on reincarnation. Uh, that's what you get again. So Alter Vu... But is a term used to describe when someone remembers their world line differently. What is a world line? Like the way your life, like your life story from birth to death or from birth to the present. Okay. You know, like you have some experience, like high school experience and you remember it differently. It's, I don't know, that's how I take it. Huh. So you go to prom with X in this world and then you remember <laughs> it being someone else. I have a really funny example of this actually. Um, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call this alter view, uh -huh. but you know, you know, going in, in line with people misremembering, um, right. certain events. That's what it sounds like. Um, when I was working at a different treatment center than where I'm working at now, uh -huh. um, so working with uh, a group of teenage boys that were kind of rough and tough and yeah, uh -huh. a lot of them were kind of gangbangers. Um, and they would get into fights every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so... As staff, our job, of course, is to break up the fights and separate the people and keep everybody safe, all that kind of stuff. And uh, this one kid, um, I can't remember his name, but uh, he, uh, he, was, he was recalling this, this one fight that took place. And he was, like, getting all cocky about it and, like, describing the situation where, like, 
um, you know, these two guys were fighting. And so he grabbed one of the boys and like dragged him off and like saved the day or whatever. So it's one of the boys stopping two other boys from fighting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, like it was this big hoorah. It was, it was kind of a funny story, uh, the way that it went down. And then one of the staff was like, wait a second. That wasn't you. That was this staff over here. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I'm pretty sure that was me. Like, I'm pretty sure I stopped the fight. Uh-huh. And the staff was like, no, that wasn't you. That was me. <laughs> and he was, so, he was so convinced that he had been the uh-huh. one to stop the fight. Right. You know? Anyway. Just a funny example that I have. <laughs> that would, yeah, misremembering thing. That's what alter vu sounds like. Right. So maybe you that's just what misremember and you confuse things, especially like in your earlier years. Like it's yeah. hard to recall anything. Oh yeah. The way it happened. Yeah, I, I have I have memories from when I was a kid where I'm not entirely sure are actually memories or maybe they're just dreams or just little fantasies that or I like a story had in my head. Someone told you. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know, like I I have that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's what alter ego sounds like. Right. So, so one of the things that stood out to me was in this last paragraph. Um, it says, but both of these phenomena have neurological explanations, but it could be possible that they are memories from another version of ourselves in another universe. So they admit right there that there is a natural explanation. Right. But apparently that's not something. good enough. <laughs> it's like community. Community, that episode, uh-huh. that would be alter ego. Which episode? Well, I remember like when they're playing, like they have the dice or whatever, and mm-hmm. they roll it. I don't remember it very well. Is that but the Dungeons some... and Dragons one? No, or... it's not Dungeons and Dragons. They're sitting. Oh, in... the timeline one. Yeah, the timeline one. with the pizza. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The house That's what party. that sounds like. Hmm. Interesting. Basically, where there are a bunch of different possibilities, uh-huh. and they happen in a different world uh-huh. outside of the one you live in. And Abed's the only one that remembers any of them. Right, because, that would be Alter Vu. Because all, Abed is basically a computer himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, and that's how I interpret that. Right. Okay. Um, the third one is dreams and parallel universes. So dreams and parallel universes are evidence of parallel worlds. So just kind of think about that for a second. So the dreams you have are evidence of... I, I think what they're getting at is that dreams, yeah, like dreams are uh, conduits to parallel worlds. Um, so let, let me read what they say. Dreams are a confounding experience when you think about it. They are the playgrounds of our subconscious mind where that part of the brain takes the reins. That is, until our consciousness takes them back in a lucid state. While dreaming, it, while dreaming is fairly understood scientifically... No one can say for sure what their purpose is. Uh, more typos. Um, are they merely a glimpse into our conscious, our unconsciousness? Could they be glimpses into alternate universes? Could they just be random fired firings within your brain that piece yeah. things together, and your brain is trying to make it make sense? I don't know. <laughs> but again, they admit that. There is a scientific explanation that we understand it fairly well scientifically, and then they add on this extra layer of supernature. So that's fun. Then the last one, parallel universe stories. Um, And then they just give a few examples of crazy things happening to to people. Like, for example, uh, this person woke up in a world in our world that did not belong to her. 
Wait, it, say that again? It, so, let me see if I can pronounce this name. Larina Garcia woke up one day in a world, our world, that did not belong to her. So oh, basically, so she's from a different world. So she's claiming to be from a different world. Okay. <sighs> so in her story, she writes that she kept noticing small incongruencies or things that were just off. Then there were the big ones. Um, so this is, I guess, her writing now. Um, so I went to work in my car, which was parked where I'd always parked, and it was at it was the same office I'd worked. In for the last 20 years, and when I got to my department, it wasn't my department. It has the names on the door, and mine wasn't on it. I thought it was on the wrong floor, but no, it was my my own floor. I went over to the office's wireless section and looked myself up. I still worked there, but at a different department. Reporting to a supervisor, I didn't even know. Okay. <laughs> so, to me... That sounds like she had a mental breakdown. Amnesia from something, maybe? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they give another example of some guy just kind of um, appearing in Tokyo in 1954 with a passport to a country called Tared that doesn't exist. And he had, like, corroborating documents and things. Yeah, because um, those aren't easily fabricated. Exactly. That's exactly what I thought. It's like... Like, you you are assuming that because this guy is claiming to have come from this this non-existent country and he has all the paperwork to back it up, so to speak, mm -hmm. that that means that he is really from this non-existent country and that he's from another parallel universe. Like, you don't think that maybe it's a hoax? Like, maybe he fabricated it? Like, that's obviously the more reasonable assumption to make. Yeah, have you, you ever know? seen Catch Me If You Can? Once. I need to watch that again. Oh. I did. I did like it, but notorious yeah. forger. Right. He would have exactly. been able to do that, and he would have been able to convince people that Tard was a real country. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So here is their conclusion: Do parallel universes exist? The above clues are probably just stories that we find intriguing, but it is fun to think about it. The universe, however, is a weird place where truth is often stranger than fiction. What do you believe? <laughs> so they're basically admitting that it's Hokum. ridiculous. Yeah, just all nonsense. Huh. Yeah, they're just they're just reading into it. It sounds like the sort of thing that's that's supposed to uh, get teenagers to click on their site. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, they got a picture of a ghost. <laughs> yeah. It's probably real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Very low standards of evidence. Uh, yeah, there's no evidence. No evidence it's at all. It's all, all anecdote. It's of mouth and, yeah, yeah. anecdote. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and admitting that there's another explanation is not the best way to convince people your way. I know. <laughs> it just makes you seem all the more unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> there is this other reasonable explanation for this, but oh, don't listen to that. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we have our pet theory that we like. Right. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, you have one more thing for us? Sure. I guess I'll read this. Um, I can't remember what the Chinese New Year is going to be. What animal it is. I didn't write the that The coming down. one? Yeah, the coming one. Um, but I did find ours. So oh. I'm a, I am the year of the dragon. Okay. And you are the year of the rooster. Yep. So or, sorry about that. Or as uh, most little... Uh, um, 
placemats at Chinese restaurants say the cock. The cock, yes. I am a cock. This is the <laughs> on here. Um, so I just thought I'd read our outlooks. So the outlook for 2016 for the dragon. Um, it says, people who are working in the creative industries, performing arts, fashion design, advertising, and even academic researchers will find themselves receiving good inspirations and ideas that aid them in their creation and innovation. The effort that they put in will also in return give them due recognition and commendations from their superiors and peers. The dragon sees the auspicious talent star, which is a star that governs one's creativity, planning, and strategic skills. So that's cool. So that's for you. Yeah, except that Sounds I don't, like you're in the wrong job. Yeah, I don't work <laughs> in the creative industry or the performing arts. I'm not in fashion design, advertising, and I don't do academic research. It sounds more like your sister. Except she's not doing that anymore either. Oh, I guess that's true. I mean, I do creative things, just not for my job. Right. <laughs> so maybe I'll still get inspired. Yeah. I'll still be so influenced the, the by the So the prediction is that people that are in creative jobs will be inspired in some way. Yeah, we'll do well. So there's probably going to be an awesome movie that comes out next year or something like that. Oh, you know, probably some fashion trend will take a take flight. I don't know. You can wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it continues. Um, it is also a star. I think it's the talent star that they're talking about that influences one to be attracted to mysterious subjects like feng shui, bazi, which I have no idea what that is, religion, philosophy, <laughs> and abstract art. So in 2016, you may see yourself getting more inclined to learning topics as such. So if I start randomly rearranging furniture, uh, it's because I'm into feng shui. Oh. Okay. And because this thing predicted it. Yes. Exactly. Well, good. Need to make it come true. <laughs> uh, dragon and monkey also form part of the lucky trinity, which implies that dragon people re will receive more support and help as compared to last year. There will be opportunity for making new friends and enhancing your network. Okay, so, so that's almost something that you can test. Yeah. It's going to be better than last year. Right. I just need to write down all of my friends. Hmm. Well, <laughs> Facebook makes that easy. And that's true. Although <laughs> I wouldn't consider most of them friends, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. People that recognize that I went to the high school that I went to. Mm. <laughs> you know? Mm. Okay, so the rooster. Outlook for 2016. A year of great fortune and harvest because of A-grade stars like Heaven Nobleman and... Taiji noblemen are present in the house of those born in the year of the rooster. I don't know. What I that mostly means. wanted to read this because of stuff like the talent star and these noblemen. Like I um. have no idea what they are, <laughs> and it's it's just kind of entertaining. Oh. Um, such stars are extremely useful when it comes to career advancement or the startup of a new business because they represent powerful support coming from bosses or clients who are big players in the market. So career advancement oh. that'd be great. I just start a business. Or that. Oh. That would be. Cause, Fantastic. Yeah, because, you know, everybody that starts a business always does so well. Yeah, <laughs> for a long period of time. <laughs> uh, in 2016, whenever you are in trouble and need a helping hand, you will receive one. <laughs> money, money luck also looks upbeat. So we're going to be making more money. Oh, good. Or you are, but, you know, me too. Hmm. <laughs> On the other hand, rooster people who are looking for love will be exceptionally lucky because of the influence of the Peach Blossom Star, or Tao Hua, that coexists with the other positive stars. So that one doesn't apply to you. No. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> However, this star can be a double-edged sword, especially for those who are married or attached. Uh -huh. Keep this in mind. It can pose as a threat of lustful temptations. 
To top it off, there is this Rob Wealth Star, which normally causes a sense of emptiness and loneliness to invade you. Hence, be cautious and always remind yourself to toe the line. Oh, wow. So yours is full of, you can get this, but this is also something that can happen. Um, it's like, gives you the black and the white side, which yeah. is kind of funny. Which is usually how horoscopes tend to go anyway. Yeah. Because they, they don't want to give too many specifics. They want to say, well, this good thing's going to happen, but this bad thing might happen yeah. too. But it's a double-edged sword. Right. So exactly. if it doesn't happen the way we just said it will, it's because of this. Right. It yeah. gives them and the then out. yours was just full of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. thought that was fun. Cool. Well, that's fun. Horoscopes. I've never really seen the appeal of horoscopes. Never really been able to get into it. I, <laughs> I've never gotten into them either. But on the off chance where I do read them, I always find that other, like, horoscopes, not uh, the one that is supposed to be for me, applies more to me than the one that applies to me. Uh, like Leos are supposed to be like these outgoing, like, super creative types. I uh-huh. guess I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm not outgoing, and so most of the horoscopes usually have something to do with like making lots of friends or going to lots of parties or, you know, right. just, and I don't know. I think it's funny. I like reading through them sometimes and being like, okay, this one applies to me, but it's, you right. know, for the month of like April and May, you know? <laughs> <laughs> August. I, I think that what we should do is, uh, we've, we've talked about this before. We should get horoscopes from different sources, like different mm-hmm. magazines and different, uh, newspapers and whatever. And, uh, started doing and that compare them. Uh-huh. Oh, did you? Yeah. I found a couple. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of fun. Do a segment all, on that. Sometimes they're just all really annoying to read, and I just lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, they're not made by the same people, so there's no, got to be a conflict, mm-hmm. and they can't all be right. Oh yeah, they were completely different. Yeah, well, ex- exactly. It's yeah. like, well, which one applies? Yeah, uh, well, they're all sufficiently vague that they probably <laughs> all kind of apply. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, anything else? Um, nope. Cool. Well, that is our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for listening. Hey! I remembered that <laughs> <laughs> um, If you would like to get into contact with us, you can do so by emailing us at skepticsquaredpodcast um, at gmail.com. And I just remembered that we didn't do this at the beginning. So it's okay. That's okay. Um, and you can also check out the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. And as always, you can review us or rate us on iTunes. And we will see you next time on the Skeptic Squared Podcast. See you later. I think I stuttered. (laughs) I thought that was on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, it was on purpose. Totally on purpose. (laughs) Totally on purpose.